Good morning, church. How's it going? Well, I am very excited to be here with you this morning. You know that feeling when you go to bed before Christmas, and you know it's going to be a good day when you're a kid. The next day is going to be one of those awesome days that you just can't wait to get up and experience the joy of being together with family and opening up presents and just having that. That's how I feel. I didn't sleep last night. Uh, I feel good. Uh, I feel a little nervous about this sermon just because I haven't been in front of the church in over a year preaching a sermon, except for the first service uh, we did there. And, but I'm, I'm prayed up and I'm excited for what the Lord is going to do this morning as we look at God's Word. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings. We are in chapter 2 and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. And this morning we are looking at a ministry transition between the prophet Elijah. He's going to transfer his ministry position to the prophet Elisha who will become the new prophet to the people of God. The title of my sermon this morning is God is forever, our vocation is not. And we will observe four cautions as to not miss out on what God may have in store for us as a people and for us as a church and for us as an individual walking along with the Lord. It's going to be a great morning. Are you ready? I want to hear you this morning. We're going to talk. This is, we're doing church today. So we're going to interact in this sermon together. I'm going to ask questions. We're going to talk. It'll be fun. Let's pray. God, we love you so very much. And we just are so thankful that we can gather as your church. God, we're so thankful for that. I'm personally so thankful for that. God, thank you for this amazing worship we are able to enjoy this morning, to be able to sing these great words to you, this truth, sing it back to you and worship you in this way. And God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds today. I believe this message is from you and it is for your people, and I pray that you would help me deliver it with power and precision. I just pray for us today that we would draw closer to you, just like our pastor prayed for us. We draw closer to you, you will draw closer to us. May this moment, may that moment happen in the next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we gather this morning, I want to start our sermon this morning with an observation statement, an observation statement for the church. And this is, it. this is what it is. There must be more than this. There must be more than this for us as a church. Work with me here. Let me ask a couple questions. Let's think about this for a minute. We have this amazing God, amen? I want to hear you. We have an amazing God. He is powerful, particular, and he is, a, and he is present with us, right? He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever, yes, that is so true. He is present. He always acts with purpose for his namesake and for his, starts with a G, glory. He works for his purpose, his namesake, and glory. That same God opened up his mouth and stars came out. That's what is recorded in the word of God. I don't know about you, but if you've been away this week or over the summer at all, were you able to get away out of the city a little bit, look up into the sky? At night, we see God's, God's showing off in his handiwork just across the sky every night. He is proclaiming to us that he is real, he is, he is present. His power is evident in creation. In general revelation, we see that there is a God. We can look around and tell that there is something beyond us, something that's bigger, something that has created all of this. That's general revelation. Then we have something called special or specific revelation, which is the word of God. God has given it to us over a period of 1,400 years through 40 authors, and it tells the story of his great love for his people, his redemption plan, his rescue story. This is divine revelation that is for us. We, his power is evident in creation. Amen? Amen? That same God dwells in heaven. 
but has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell where? In us. The Holy Spirit of God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, dwells in us. And here is my question. How is it that desires, our personal desires, and our flesh, as Paul writes, are stronger than God? How is that even true? How is our desires and our fleshly wants more powerful than God? Do you actually believe that in your life? Do you believe that our desires and our flesh are actually stronger than the all-powerful, all-knowing God? I think some of us do believe that. I do believe it is true that we see in our lives a real pattern of brokenness, of hurt, of defeat and opposition. We are in a war. That's why we read in Ephesians 6 that we are supposed to dress up daily in the armor of God, protecting our whole body because we have an enemy who is against us, who doesn't love us, who is not for us. Even the word of God says that he sends his fiery darts. Maybe you have been hit. And you think there must be more than this. There is certainly a great war taking place in the lives of those who are called to live holy lives. But there must be more than this. Real talk today. A real chit-chat through God's word with you. I know that we have some amazing leaders for Christ in this room, and we praise God for, their, their, for his work in their life, but there is a whole bunch of people maybe here today or tuning in or will hear this message later on that I believe that would say to me, yes, pastor, I believe that the struggle in my life is so real. My faith facilitates, it just goes up and goes down. Sometimes I'm doing really well. I feel like I can walk on water just like Jesus did. I feel like I'm so close to God, we can, we're getting through this, my eyes are focused on him. And then in the same week, month, year, I feel like I'm in the valley. I don't feel close to God. God, have you disappeared? Are you gone? Where are you, God? My faith goes up and down. As we counsel and do life with Christians and the people called out of darkness into marvelous light, we feel and we see and we actually hear this. I just give in. It's so hard to walk with God. I just give in to the desire. I give in to the flesh. Others would say, I just give up. Like, I get into this battle with God and it gets really crazy sometimes and I just give up. I just give up the fight. I give up the pursuit. I just can't take it up. I can't pick up my cross today. Actually, where is my cross? Some of us have forgot where it is. Others would say, like, I just go around issues. Things get real tough and just sidestep to that, like blame shift and kind of things get real confusing sometimes so I just kind of go around and just like just keep my head down some of our brothers and sisters would just declare that they're just tired they're just tired while others would say I'm in it every day and one of my goals is I'm trying to impress. I'm trying to impress my family. I'm trying to make sure that they know and see that I'm a Christian, that I'm walking well. I'm trying to impress my bosses so that they will, they will, they will like me and they'll, they'll, they'll stay off my back. 
Some of us are, are trying to impress our friends with things that we have. And still others would say, you know, I know I sin, but I don't talk about that very much. And I, I, I just don't think about it. So out of sight and it's out of mind, right, God? If we don't talk about it, maybe you won't care about it. But that's not true. And here's the one I get the most. And I can relate to this. I'm exhausted. Just being with God can be exhausting. Like, sometimes I don't understand his word and there's so many imperatives and rules and I don't know if I can get them right and I, I fail sometimes and I'm just exhausted. And as I journey through each day, I must confess to you that I, as a pastor, have been really struggling with this. This has been one of my struggles I've been observing over the last year. I have a struggle to understand how we as the, we can have the real, true God of creation that we just talked about in our lives, but live in such a way that speaks the very opposite to anyone looking at our lives, that God is real. Is God real? Because there is a great disconnect from what I read and what I see, and what I feel, and what I've experienced. And that has led me to this question, this observation statement, there must be more than this. Because I find myself in these moments, you side, just get away from the public, get away from the family for a moment, and you get in the secret place that the Bible talks about, in the secret place where you get before the Lord. We know that place, you have that place, right? You have that secret place where you just dialogue with God, and we're in there, and me and God are doing this, but in the back of my mind, way at the back, there's this little itch that says when we look out and we see the church of today, there has to be more than this. This really is what we've called, been called to? Just an everyday battle with fleshly desires and just feel powerless towards Satan. And in the back of my mind, it is back there somewhere and it's just rattling around the words of Jesus. As Jesus was drawing his Sermon on the Mount to a close, he uttered the words that Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to as the most solemn and solemnizing words ever uttered in the whole world. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name we drove out demons and in your name we performed many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. One gospel writer shares, and I believe this is true, it is hard to imagine anything more devastating than to hear the meek and lowly Jesus Christ utter these words to people who have been expecting to be welcomed into heaven by him. These are people who have been deceived, they've lived their lives believing a lie. These kinds of people, these are the kinds of people Jesus, think about the kinds of people that are being described here in this passage. They're not irreligious. They call Jesus Lord. They know the lingo and they even make proper profession. Furthermore, they have been very active in their practice of a religion. 
They've been preachers and exorcists, and they've even performed miracles. And they did all of their religious works in the name of Jesus. We know that that passage says, in the name of Jesus. Three times all this stuff was done. But on that fateful day, however, neither their religious fervor nor their activities saved them. They've deceived themselves into believing that they know Christ, but in reality, they missed him. They profess to have a saving relationship with him. He professes never to have known them. And when it all boils down, Jesus' profession is the one that ultimately matters. There must be more than this. And I echo the same words as Elisha from our text. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Because some have the word, we have the word, we have the spirit, we have faith, but for some of us, victory with the battles that we face seems so far away. Temptation is so real and sin is crouching at our door, seems to knock every day. Hey, come on out and play with me. We're gonna have a lot of fun. And I want to be a daring dude or dudette, dudette for all those ladies here that win the battle, but the question is, how do we win it? Let us be cautious as we now turn to the word of God, as we prayed and allow the examination of our lives to be brought forth by the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. Let's turn there together and look at that word. The title for this is Elijah is taken up to heaven. Verse one says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgad. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company, of prophet, the company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know what the Lord is going to take? Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yeah, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elisha says, Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Then he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. Don't speak of it. When Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at the distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taking from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly 
a chariot of fire and horses of fire, a horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in the whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Then Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and then he tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had been fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of prophets from Jericho were watching, said the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. And they said, look, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let's go and look for the master, your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord had picked him up and sent him down on some mountain in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? This is the word of God. May I add a blessing to the reading of it this morning. We have 18 verses. Within these 18 verses, we have a few characters. We know of some. We're going to talk about the others. And one of the ministry leaders that we have been talking about for weeks, if you're new with us, you can go back on and listen to the pastors teach through the life of Elijah. Elijah is about to wrap up his ministry, and he is about to go into heaven. And I want to remind us today, because I think this is an important fact that we usually forget about these prophets and people of God, is Elijah was an ordinary man with the Spirit. And some of us believe that you have to be this some type of super person with all your life put together to be able to be used by God, and that's simply not true. Elijah was an ordinary man who had the Spirit, who trusted in God, and his ministry is about to wrap up, and he's going up to heaven. Another character we get to read about is his, his protege, the guy he's been training, the guy who's been coming alongside of him, the one who he's, he has been discipling. His name is Elisha. He's about to receive this new ministry to take care of the prophets and the, and the word of God for the people that are there. We also have prophets from Bethel and Jericho, who I'm, I'm assuming are the same prophets that were hidden in caves, 50 in each, that were hid away they're in the story now, and they have some interesting things to say. We also have a, a chariot, a cloak, a call, and a choice. And this morning, I want to focus our attention mainly on the new ministry of Elisha. Because I believe Elisha shows us here today, ordinary people, you and me, with the Spirit of God, become, can become extraordinary leaders for God. You are a leader for God. You have the Spirit of God. You've turned your life over to Jesus. You're a leader for God. Who is known by God, you can become a, an extraordinary leader known by God and active in seeing his power and his presence. Here's a question. Do you want to see the power and presence of God in our church? Yeah, I do. Like, I'm wait, like I'm, I'm ready. I'm like, let me out of God, come on, let's get to work. I want to see your active power. I want to see your presence in our church. I want to see that in our city. I want to see that to the ends of the world. I want to see your people step up, step out. God, I want to, be, I want to step up, step out. Tell me, what is it that you want me to do? And I believe there are four actions of Elisha that are applicable for us today that can change our whole lives in how we relate to God. There is more than this. 
I also believe that the four things we're going to talk about today are also cautions because there are so many that are struggling with that one question. There must be more than this. Is this what I'm really called to? To battle in this flesh and really just, I feel like I'm not winning anything? God, are you even real? Let's answer that question with these four things. What did Elisha do that we need to do? The first thing that Elisha did was he didn't give up. Look at the text with me in verses two and verses four and verses six. Elijah says, stay here. The Lord is gonna send me to Bethel, verse two, Jericho, verse four, and the Jordan, verse six. And then Elisha says, no, I'm not gonna stay. I'm not staying here because I'm going with you. You see, this was certainly a hard day for Elisha. The one who trained him was leaving and he was about to be left in charge of this great task. Was he ready? Could he do it? I'm sure he thought about those things. Elijah tells him three times to stay, but he wanted to follow his leader. He wanted to be, he wanted to walk with him. He wanted to be close to him. He wanted to spend his last moments with, with his, with his friend. So when Elijah says, you got to stay here, he says, no, I'm not staying. As long as the Lord lives, as long as you're breathing, I'm coming with you. Elisha didn't give up. He wanted to go, and because he didn't give up, he was blessed. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Elisha didn't want to let go of his pursuit, and that's something we got to think about. We can't let go of our our pursuits of God, because you'll regret that decision. Can I be honest and just real raw for a moment? I've been thinking about this, been thinking about sharing this all week, and I'm going to share. I want to share with us the big, my biggest regret in my whole entire life. The biggest regret of my whole life, I think about it every day, and I had some people come up after service to give great counsel to me and great blessing to me and great care, and I'm so thankful for our church. I love our church really, really deeply. But the biggest regret in my life happened last year before Laura was, was gone, up to, gone up to heaven before Jesus came and took her. I remember our very last week together, I was at the hospital with her every day, all day, every day. I was hardly going home, and the day, that, uh, the day, bef- the day she was taken up, uh, I met with the doctor, and the doctor said, this woman is a strong fighter. I said, oh yeah, my girl's strong. She has always been a fighter, she'll keep on fighting. She said, she probably won't pass for a couple days. I said, okay, more time to be with her. That night, I remember at 12 o'clock, I was at 12 midnight, I was at the, at the hospital, a nurse comes in and says, uh, she's, she's doing fine, you can go home if you want to go, go home, have a nap, come back. I said, no, that's fine, I'm going to stay here, I'm going to read the Bible over her, I'm going to sing over her, even though I'm not a good singer, I'm still going to lavish that over her, she has to listen. I said, she really loves when I sing to her. She's like, okay. She comes back at three, 3 o'clock, hey, you know what, you should go home because she's fine. Nothing has changed. We can call you. No, I'm okay. I'm going to stay here. Around quarter to four, 3.30, quarter to four, she comes back in and she says, why don't you just go home, get a shower, get something to eat and come right back. And that's where it was, right there. I let that seed get into my head and I thought, hey, it's okay, yeah. I'm only five minutes away. Go home. No, I won't shower. I'll just maybe just grab a coffee, grab a protein bar, and come back. I left. 
I came back, I got stopped at the front when you had to check in and it was taking extra long. They finally let me go and before I got to the elevator, that nurse called me and said that she passed. I missed it. I missed out on that moment and every day I think about it. We can't give up. We can't let go of things that we know are true. We need to press in on them. And some of us have these hard tests, these hard days, they come. Amen? Do we have hard days, church? We do. We all have them. We're all in the same boat here. Some of us have hard days that move into hard seasons. And these hard days and these seasons, they will either help us or they will hinder us in some way. And some of these hard days in your life could be leading you to a certain place, and it's a place of spiritual danger. And I want to talk about that. Because quietly I've been observing the church over the last year, just sitting back and watching, not Calvary, just the church in general, all the church, God's beautiful, universal bride. I've been watching the church, and I'm identifying four types of people because of these hard days, because of hard struggles, and because of lack of victory that they're seeing in their lives. There's, there, there are four types of people that I'm seeing. And the first type of person is the person that is, I am thinking of giving up. I am thinking of giving up, not giving up on their life, but giving up on this whole pursuit of God. Become an apostate. Like totally renouncing my loyalty to God and doing whatever I want. Because it looks like a string of days have happened. There's a lot of struggles going on. I don't feel God. I don't know. Maybe I should just go back to my former way of life because life with God is hard. Life as a Christian seems impossible. And maybe because of circumstances, you're mad at God. Maybe you won't tell that to another believer, but in your heart, it's there. That person who may be thinking that way, I've talked to these, I've talked to people like that. You're in spiritual danger before the Lord. You're thinking that it's gonna be easier to just do life without God and be on your own but you forget about the blessing and the care of God in the life of the believer. Those who make this choice risk going outside of the protection of God, and here's what will happen. You will walk straight into the waiting arms of Satan. He's got a big sign saying, come on, we got a party over here, we got donuts and cake. It's gonna be great. And you're like, yeah, I think I need a little bit of greatness in my life right now. This seems fun. Let's do this. You think you'll get to do what you want to do, but that route leads straight to death. You will walk out and you will suffer greatly. God won't let go of you. He will pursue you. If you're a true Christian, he'll come after you. But we can deny the spirit. And we can go and do the things of the flesh. And if you're thinking that, be warned. Second type of person is, I'm slowly given up. They have a divided loyalty to God. They love God, they love his grace, but they also like doing things on their, doing things on their own, including, they like, they don't, including seeking wisdom from others, but they don't really follow biblical imperatives. They still want biblical advice. They'll talk to a pastor, a small group leader, a friend, but in the end, secretly, they're just doing their own thing. 
They don't want to put into practice the things that God says in his word. This person is not seeing the power and presence of God in their life. They long for God to move, to act, to help. And they often get angry when they hear of other brothers and sisters testify like, the Lord worked, the Lord is doing this. And they often think, what? How is the Lord working in your life and not in mine? What am I doing wrong? And if you have multiple days and seasons like that, you begin to think, I don't know if I'm going to do this. And you slowly begin to kind of tilt your way away from God. And the third type of person I've seen is the I want to believe again type of person. They believe. They'll say, I still love and pursue you, God. But they'll also say, where are you in this? See, I want to believe. God, I want to believe again. Like, when you saved me, when you called me out of darkness and marvelous light, when you brought me into your family as a part of the elect, I was, I was filled with so much passion and so much love and so much care. Like, I was out doing ministry. I was doing all these things, God. I want to be that. I want that again. God, I want, I want a fresh, fresh revelation of you Not that I need new revelation, but I just want you in my life so that we can do things. And this type of person is often praying, God, let's do it today. Today's the day. This type of person has has a faith the size of a mustard seed. It's It's a small type of faith that we read, but it's there and it's big and we know what the mustard seed faith does. And they're just pleading with God, God, today, let's move mountains. God, today, let's go. God, today's the day. You come in every Sunday waiting. Today's the day. God, you're going to move today? You're going to move today, God? Let's go. Let's do it. We have lots of those people in our church. And the last type of person is the Elisha person. Doesn't matter what's going on. God is God. If I struggle, that's okay. God is God. It doesn't matter what's going on because God is God and his promises are true and I'm going to believe him even, even if I don't see him right now. I know, I know he's going to come through because God is God. Which one are you? Do you fit in any of those? Just as important, and it's not just which one are you, is what are you going to do about it? When we look at the life of Elisha, he's just like us, an ordinary man with the spirit of God. And what do we see? He didn't give up. That's the first thing that he did. The second thing that we need to do that Elisha did is that he looked up, verse 11 and 12. When God showed up, Elisha looked up. He looked up and he saw what God was doing. Elisha looked at the things of God and then responds, seeing the, this extraordinary supernatural miracle as God demonstrates his power and presence through a chariot of fire. He looks up and he sees this and he cries out, Father, Father. He sees what's going on. There's a divide that happens. His mentor moves to one side. He goes to the other. His mentor goes up to heaven. He sees the whole thing. To me, the, the, the scripture should, respond, should say that he fell in, in fear. Like Isaiah. Isaiah goes in, or Isaiah proper way to say it. Isaiah goes in and he sees high and lifted up the the Lord and he falls dead. I feel like if I see God, I'm falling dead. But Elisha sees God and he tears his robes. It causes him great distress. 
Elisha knows that God keeps his promises. And he took his mentor. A very, very hard moment. Have you ever been beside the, uh, have you ever been by, by the side of someone you loved and adored and they were gone? They were taken away. And if they were a believer, there is much joy because we rest assured to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that they are with God. We can rejoice in that. We have joy in our heart. But then after that, distress, sorrow, hurt, pain. We grieve. Elisha tears his robes because he's grieving. We long to see. We look up to the heaven with hope in our hearts just think of Jesus, after, after he was raised from the dead, a period of 40 days, he was witnessed by over 500 people, and then he, at that last moment, he gathers those he loved together, and he gives them the great commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, remembering that I'm with you to the very end of the age, guys. So go and do this, and then he goes up to heaven. And it shows in the Bible that the disciples stood there looking into heaven. And it must have been a long time because angels showed up. And they're like, what are you doing, guys? Didn't he tell you something? And they're looking up in heaven. He says, the same way that he left, he will come back. He will rend the heavens and come back. But guys, you got some work to do. Didn't he tell you something? We long for heaven. If Elisha had given up in his pursuit of walking with Elijah, he would have missed that moment. The, the moment, though very sad, displayed the power and the presence of God and confirmed to this young leader that God keeps his promises to his people. I want to tell you this morning, if you are in a season where you feel like God is not keeping promises, he will keep his promise. He always keeps his promise. But many of us are missing out because we are looking around instead of looking up. We are looking and listening to everything and everyone else, what they're saying and what it is doing. Church, lean in. It is robbing us from experiencing the power and the presence of the promise-keeping God. It's robbing us because we're not looking up at the things of God. We're looking at the things of the world. And when we miss out, something happens. We doubt We are not allowing God to demonstrate his power because we are too busy protesting our own desires and the results of us living in the flesh and giving ourselves over to the flesh and over to our desires over and over again is we ask questions like that. Can God really move in my life? God, it seems like you're not around. Did you take a break? Like, am I a prophet of Baal? Like, remember, Elijah was up on the mountain. He says, where's your God? Is he relieving himself? Like, am I really? Like, is that where I'm at? Yeah, I believe that some of us need to hear this message today, including myself. I pray the Spirit convicts us and shows us that we are missing out because we keep checking out from what is true, what is healthy, and what is vital to our souls. And church, I say this with much love and much grace. All of us, we need to stop doing that. We gotta stop checking out what's going on in the world and start checking in with what God wants to do in our lives. Elisha didn't give up. Elisha looked up 
Third thing Elisha did that we need to do is he picked up. Elisha picked up what God had provided. Look at, me, look at verse 13. Verse 13 shows that he picked up the cloak that fell. This, thing, this, this moment, this verse shows us three things. God is present. God keeps his promises. And thirdly, and most importantly, I believe in this section, is that God provides us with the things we need to win the spiritual battle. We just need to pick them up and use them. God provides to his church individually to each person what we need to live this abundant life. But our hands are full of things that are hurting and hindering us. And we need to let those things go and we need to pick up the things of God so that we can act and move and see that God is real. Elijah asks, what do you want, Elisha? And here it is. I think Elisha's request is outstanding. What a great request. I want a double portion of your spirit. It's like a little, little menu. Can I get a double portion of your spirit? Go do that after lunch. Go tell your waitress or waiter. Are you, are you giving out double portions of spirit? And then you can share this sermon with them. It's a great evangelism tool. But he says, I want a double portion of your spirit and I want to do what you do, only greater. And that sounds really prideful, but let me tell you, it's not. It's not prideful when it's in the right context. In the right context is the name and fame of Jesus. And I want, he's, he's saying, I want to lead like you led, but only greater. I want my life to count for God, as I want, and I want to make sure that what I'm doing, I'm doing what you did, but I'm only doing even greater. And your teaching, your training, your mission in my life, Elisha, it was not wasted. I want to take what I'm learning and I want to apply it so God's name is blessed and I grow closer to God in the process. Think about Jesus' words. Jesus even said to his disciples, you will do greater things than these. Was Jesus saying that we would be better than him? Not at all. He was saying that my spirit is coming. Elisha asked for a double portion of the spirit and that spirit came. Jesus was saying, my spirit is coming and he is powerful and he will cause you to accomplish the will of my father. Here it is, church, if we obey. Elisha had to pick up the cloak. We have to pick up our crosses and go. See, Elijah picks up the cloak, he strikes the water, and it parts, just like Elijah, just like Moses. But here's something that I have observed in the church, and we have, to, we have to come against this, all of us together. If we see this, we have to rebuke this. We don't see it very often in our church, but it's a present in the universal church, and that is that we, as God's people, we look for power in objects. If I only had a staff, woo. Man, the things I could do if I had a Moses staff. If I had a cloak, maybe my, my marriage would be great, or maybe this would happen, or this thing. If I just had this, oh, if I just had a, if I just had a spirit like, or a shadow like the, the Apostle Peter, I'd just walk down the hallways at the hospital, people would be healed. If I only had that, here's the danger. The power is not in the object. It's in the obedience to follow through with what the Lord provides. You see, danger, it, we get into danger when we start looking to objects to help us overcome. That includes just counseling outside of the word of God. We need to take what God is giving us 
We've got to put it into play. We've got to pick it up. And if I had a staff like Moses or a cloak like Elijah or a shadow like Peter, my life would only be better? No, it wouldn't. Because you can have all those things and still live in disobedience to God and you will be powerless. You take one step of obedience, things begin to change. You have everything you need because you have the spirit of God living in you. You, you right now in Christ is what others see. You are powerful. But if you don't obey the Lord, you don't display what the Lord wants to do. If you don't obey, you don't display. And when you live in obedience to God, not just believe, because even the demons believed, we, we know that, but, li- but in obedience, you live in obedience, you testify to the power of God in your life. Our city needs this. We often talk about the world. Let God take care of the world. Let us just start with our city. We'll start from our church out. Under the power and guidance of God's word and the Holy Spirit, let's start right here. Our city needs to see. They need to see the power and the presence of God display. They need to see people who love God, who are going through hard things and are turning to God. Because our city has lost all hope. Our culture's already gone. But let us show them that God is still able, that he's still active, he's still alive in the way that we live and teach and share and display our lives before the whole world. You have a ripple effect. Let's start here in your family, in your church, in your city, and let God change the rest. Does that sound good? That sounds great to me. But that type of lifestyle, that's going to cause or it's going to require radical changes in our life. That means we need to stop putting into play, we, ha- we need to start putting into play the truth that we know that is true. That means we have to set down the things that are distracting us. Our hands are full with things that leave us powerless, defenseless, and vulnerable. And there is a pattern to this. You have your hands on things. You get rid of one thing. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm, 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 I'm letting that down. I'm, I'm, I'm moving in the Lord. I'm doing good. Satan is standing right beside you like, here, try this one. This one will be fun. Play with this for 30 days. Like every time you put something down, he will offer you something else. You have to say no to that, yes to God. And that requires, that requires pr- prayer. That requires fasting. That requires discipline, to know what to pick up. Once you know what is powerful and you get it in your hands and you obey God, our city will change because God works through his people. I don't know why he set it up like that, but God works through his people and he wants to work through his people. He wants to work through you and me. So let me encourage you to pick up what God has provided and use it in such a way that people around you are speechless about your beliefs. For I believe the, prophet who, the prophets who saw Elisha strike the water, what did they do? When they saw the demonstration of obedience, he picked up, he struck the water, they testified that God was with him. Who has testified that God is with you? Church, we have to stop believing our doubts and doubting our beliefs and start believing our beliefs and doubting our doubts.
Elisha picked up. What did Elisha do that we need to do the fourth and final thing? Elisha, verse 16, he spoke up. We see Elisha doing this final thing when the other prophets came to Elisha and they told him that God could have just picked up Elijah and carried him to another place. But Elijah says, no, that's not true, that God took him. He was there, he saw the whole thing. He saw with his very eyes that God opened up the heavens. He came down with chariots of fire, that there was a division, that he took his friend. Elisha saw it. But the prophets come and they say, no, 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 well, let's, I have an idea. Pick me. I want to talk. Maybe, hear me out, he's on a different mountain. He's over there. Maybe he's over there or maybe over there. What we should do, got 50 men. We'll just organize this. We'll go, we'll go on a search party. We'll go, find, we'll go find him. Elisha saw it. He witnessed it. And what happens? It says that they pressured him. In the ESV, it says they did it so much that it embarrassed him. So he gave in to the people of God, to the prophets who were saying, hey, I got a great idea. He allowed the prophets to pressure him into looking for Elijah. And you can see that this first leadership moment was a failure. And the prophets go off and then they come back and they report to Elisha did not, that they couldn't find him. And his response, verse 18, and this word ends, did I tell you not to go? Well, church, we need to be like Elisha and speak up when we know things are true. And the example in our text is, very tr- is a very true reality of what happens to us today. We know what is true and sometimes we compromise because of the pressures of others. And this does include God's people. Even God's people can pressure us to do things that are a waste of time and resources. That's why we need to know what the Lord wants from us. We need to come under our leaders who are praying and fasting and seeking the will of God for Calvary Baptist Church. We need to get on the phones and call the people who are not here and say, come to church. God is doing a great thing. Let's go. We need to know the difference in act. Elisha did speak up. And we need to do that part. But on things we know that are true. And just, just, a, just a leadership tip, let's do this in love. With gentleness. Tell the truth in love. With conviction and passion. People will push back on us. Let me tell you, it's okay. It's okay that people will push back. Sometimes the way, the way of the Lord is offensive to the lives of others because their, their life is not in line with the will of God. They may be running from God. They may have their hands full, but we can still testify to the truth and tell of the wonderful hope that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can bring witness to the care and concern of our God and we will leave the results up to God because it is God who saves, but it is our job to proclaim. So as we close in your, fill in the, your notes, your handout, I had some questions. And I'm gonna close with this. I'm gonna ask those questions. Yes or no? You come in this morning, you look at your life, it's between you and the Lord, are you stuck? Yes or no? Do you doubt that God can work and feel and you feel like you wanna give up? Yes or no? Are you losing a sight of what is true and real because your eyes are fixed on the wrong thing? Yes or no? Are your hands full with things that hurt and hinder? Yes or no? Are you asking, is there more than this?
Yes or no? If you can say yes to any of these questions, something needs to change. Maybe there is more to this. Church, there is. I want to tell you. I want to proclaim it. I want to encourage you. There's more to this. We need to look up to God. I want to tell you this morning, like, this is not really about Elisha. It's not really about us, but really it's about God. See, Elisha didn't give up because God always provides a proper path to overcome. You have a proper path to overcome waiting for you today. Elisha looked up because God is always showing off his power and presence to help us remember his promises. Remember the rainbow? Put it in the sky so everybody would remember. Every time it rains, we see a rainbow. It's a promise to us because we're forgetful. The word of God says that we are forgetful people. We forget that God has promises. Elisha picked up because God will never leave us. He will never leave you without what you need to win the battle. Never will he do that. And Elisha spoke up because God has given us the gift of reconciliation and a message that is life-changing. He has given us the gospel. And because of God and his word and his Holy Spirit, we will always have something to say. And it's a beautiful truth. God is forever. And we will be with God forever. And I plead with you, don't waste your life and miss out on what is truly important. God is, for, is forever. Our vaca- vocation is not. Some of us, though, this is just the reality. Some of us will miss out on what the Lord has in store for us because we'll keep our hands full. Some of us need to make some serious changes in our life. And some of us will ignore this message and nothing will change. I plead this with you. Don't let that be you. Elijah leaves. And he give and God gave Elisha a double portion of his spirit so he could go. Jesus left and he gave the spirit to us so that we could go and do the great commission. So may on that day, may the Lord say to you, welcome and well done. For you, my child, figure out, figured out that there is more than this. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, and just your word this morning. God, as we have sat under the counsel of your word through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know each and every life, and I pray that we would come closer to you today. That we in our lives would lift up our prayers, lift up our thoughts, asking you to come and help change our broken patterns of living in this broken way, that you would come and bring healing to marriages, to individual lives, God, to children. God, I pray for our whole church. I pray for our city. God, I pray that you would use the leadership here as we turn to you and draw close to you, that you would help us and show us what we need to do We will press in with the disciplines, God. We will seek you. We are coming after you, God, and we're not gonna let you go. God, I pray that you would help us to do your will in your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.